Before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to share with you a free masterclass that I am hosting on Tuesday, the 23rd of November called Become Unstoppable. Over the last few months, I have been interviewing some of the most amazing people around the world about self-doubt. And one thing that's been really apparent is the common thread that runs through each and every person's story. And that is often linked around the four traps of self-doubt. And so I want to spend some time just sharing with you what they look like, what they are, more importantly, how you can identify them before helping you with a seven-step reframe to flip mindset, to let go of jealousy, comparison, fears, and unworthiness, and really help you to start to rebuild your confidence and belief in yourself so you can unapologetically design and create the life that you were born to live. Now, if you have been experiencing self-doubt or struggling with confidence, um, maybe you've been feeling like a bit of imposter syndrome where you feel a bit of a fraud or whatever you do isn't good enough or that you um, are going to get found out in some capacity that your accomplishments aren't in fact real. Or maybe you've been suffering from anxiety or bad habits that are ruining your chances of achieving your goals. Perhaps you've got low self-esteem and low confidence and you've been allowing past experiences to influence your thought patterns. Or maybe you've fallen into the trap of self-pity and somewhere along the lines you've stopped being able to see the positive outcomes. If any of these things sound like you, then this training is for you. I really want to help you to stop overthinking, hesitating, hiding and being um, hypercritical of yourself. I want to help you to get out of your comfort zone, to quiet the, the negative voices and allow you to become the limitless creator that you were born to be. I want to help you to discover ways to manage your self-doubt and break down your daily negative habits, to shed any irrational fears and stop undervaluing yourself and quieten that inner critic, and to stop overthinking and trust in your abilities so you can design and live the life that you truly want and, and know and learn how to make it happen. So you can start to embrace your whole being Yes, that is flaws and all. And start to see that actually it is our mistakes, um, our flaws, our weaknesses, our strengths, all of that that makes us so bloody unique and so powerful. I want to help you to stop feeling like you need to be controlled by other people or to let fear control you and allow you to step into the person that you were born to be, to do the things that you were here to do and to have fun along the way and to say, fuck it, because this is your life. And, and I really want to help and inspire you to stop comparing yourself to other people, to stop feeling inferior with others, to stop limiting your goals, limiting the way in which you show up in the world and really allow you to wholeheartedly and unapologetically trust and believe in yourself. So if this sounds like something that you would be interested in, then I'd love for you to click the link in the show notes below because it's time to become unstoppable. There is no better time right now than to... Um, take back control over your self-doubt, to learn how to manage it. It's something that we all have. No one is immune to it. No one can get away from it, but we can all learn how to manage it so it no longer screws with our confidence and no longer holds us back. So if this is something you're interested in, then please come and join me. It's totally free. Um, you'll have lifetime access to the replay. There'll be lots of amazing takeaways that you can start to implement straight away and start to see amazing results as you start to put together your limitless roadmap to help you to create the life that you want to lead. So I look forward to seeing you in there. But without further ado, let's kick off with uh, this week's episode. 
Hello and welcome to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show I'll be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset trauma coach, helping to inspire, support and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. So are you ready to bring mindset to life and feel inspired? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. This week I'm joined by Julie Gaultier, who is now in active recovery from 33 years of suffering from eating disorders. For years she struggled with self-image, self-confidence, self-worth and self-doubt. She used destructive coping mechanisms to punish herself for feeling so doubtful about herself. She also embarked on unhealthy romantic relationships, letting others treat her unfairly because of her low self-esteem. Those behaviours led her to her darkest time of her life when three years ago she wanted to end it. She came to a crossroads where she had two options, to live or to forever be another mental health statistic. She decided to ask for help. Today, Julie wants to share the powerful message that recovery and finding inner freedom from self-doubt is definitely not linear and not always easy, but it is possible. She thinks awareness and self-compassion are keys to better self-acceptance, self-love and self-worth. Today, Julie's passions are yoga, breathwork and meditations and is a co-author of From Chaos to Calm and her first self-published book about her journey to self-love and self-empowerment, Hungry to Be Me, A Quest to Be My Own Hero, will be published this November. So welcome, Julie. It's lovely to have you on the show. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Do you know, I'm really, really excited to, um, to, to have you on the show and to talk about something that I think has been a taboo subject for too long um, and is certainly a subject that's close to my heart because my sister had um, eating disorders growing up. And although I didn't have a, um, a diagnosed eating disorder, I've certainly suffered with controlled eating um, as part of my recovery and when I felt out of control. So I really would love to, to hear just um, how the, your eating disorder started. I know you've always said it's very much linked with self-doubt. So I'd love to, for you to just in your own words, to so just kind of share with us what uh, was going through your mind that led led on to the eating disorders and how you have navigated through that battle over the last 33 years? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's when it started, to be honest, I don't really have, I cannot pinpoint the moment when it actually started. However, I had a um, very difficult moment in my life where I had a ski accident. Mm-hmm. So I had a brain uh, surgery because I had a nematoma. So they had to drain uh, the blood clot and the blood from my skull. And so I wasn't in the hospital and I was talking recently with my mother and that's kind of where we think it started because I couldn't walk and bathe myself, you know, so my mother was helping me. So the first thing then when she removed my clothes, apparently, I don't remember, she t- I told her, look, mom, it's so great. I've lost so much weight, you know, from being at the intensive care at the hospital. 
So that kind of ring a bell. So that was, you know, at 12 years old, it was really starting to be a part of my life. But obviously, it probably started earlier. I always had this, you know, self-doubt about myself, um, always wanted to be the good girl. You know, I was the first child in the family, you know, like the first baby. Um, you have to be like, everybody's always around you. Oh, you're so pretty. I think I always wanted to keep that image, you know, keep up with the image and the expectations of others to, you know, be that little doll, that beautiful little girl, you know, such a good girl, you know, it's, I think it's, it was very present. And then I have, um, my mother had twins. So, you know, now all the attention was kind of taken away towards the kids. Maybe that was, you know, a part, and I'm not blaming anyone in here, you know, I'm just, I think the, um, the brain of human beings is wonderful and the brain helps you to cope. And, you know, when you're a young child, you, you don't have the tools to positively um, cope. So I think I developed, you know, a coping mechanism or stories in my head that slowly, you know, became a part of my eating disorders. So to answer your question, I think it started like at a pretty young age. So probably before 12 years old. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned obviously when you were in the hospital and you, um, which you don't remember, but your mum has told you that you'd said about losing weight. Were mm -hmm. you... Or do you have any memories of being consciously aware of your weight prior to that? Well, actually, you know, unfortunately, teens have magazines, you know, teens, yeah. 16s, all these things. And here in Quebec, we have this uh, girls of today, like if I can like translate a word for word. Mm. And I remember taking a quiz to see if I was fat. And, you know, yeah. they were saying, you know, take your, like, you know, pinch yourself in here and depending on how much you have, then, you know, you're overweight. So that was pretty young, you know, like it's a magazine for 12 years old girls or 15 years old. So I think it was, I had, I did have, um, you know, body, I was aware that, well, and I was aware, you know, of weight, uh, beauty standards. I'm not, again, blaming, but my mother was, you know, exercising. She was into uh, the diet culture. She was part of that. So I was aware of as, as a child, you know, what's going on in the house. The calorie book was just on the counter of the kitchen. Mm. So slowly I started to, you know, deviate my behavior, my healthy behavior and go check in the book. Oh, so how much is calorie is a cucumber? Okay, how much the calories in the bread? So I started like to slowly, you know, reduce my portions. And then that's where I started to fall into the anorexia. But that was after my, my accident. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the pressure of keeping, um, keeping up the image. And I think certainly one thing that scares me about social media right now um, is all the falseness that goes mm. on with the filters um, and the editing that just shows an impossible figure that, that people are striving so hard to achieve that's just never gonna be achievable um, uh, without really 
taking responsibility of the consequences of what those the message those filters are bringing through um that you you also mentioned something about the fact that your mum had twins and therefore the attention then went from you to them and it's interesting you said that because where my sister's eating disorder started when she started university and although as a family we've always been close I was a bit of a, a troubled teenager, I guess. And so my mum and my sister were, were very close before she went to uni. Mm -hmm. And then when she left, me and my mum formed a really good bond and I started mm -hmm. relationships. And so you go to your mum for, you know, that sort of support and stuff. And, and um, not that, again, not that there's any blame on that. Uh, my sister struggled with, with that uh, attention shift. Mm -hmm. um, along with a lot of other things that that added to to the eating side of things you had put on weight over um university and had then had a heartbreak and so on and so forth but it is interesting because quite often we we don't realize it at the time but it goes back to that wanting to feel loved and needed mm -hmm. um and when we feel that the attention has gone in some capacity there's a rejection part that might then come through or you're fighting for attention. And in order to get attention, we then start playing up or, or doing things that will then cause people to stop and, and look. Were you consciously doing that? Was that the driving force? Um, or was it more like you said, you know, your mum had always been very into diet and, and um, calorie counting. And so again, we model our behaviors of mm -hmm. those around us. Um, and again, certainly as a parent, that's something I'm very consciously aware of um, in how I act around my son, because I think, you know, we are all impressionable on so many different levels in different stages of our lives. But when we are young and we're growing up, mm -hmm. a lot of our beliefs and the way that we act are a result of our upbringing. Yes. So was that was that more or was it the pressure more that was kind of driving it? I really think that everything goes hand in hand. I think like there's not like one thing that make like a eating disorders thrive. Mm -hmm. I really think like that was that, you know, and you, I, I feel when I think about that, I was looking for a bond with my mother. That's definite. And so to see like, hey, look, mom, I thought like she would kind of be on my side you know, she would think that she would congratulate me for that because I always wanted that approval, that support, that good job, Julie. So I think that's, um, I was looking for that reassurance that it was great that I did that. Of course it didn't happen, <laughs> but you know, I feel it was kind of wanting to keep the control and you were talking about your sister, you know, when things you feel uh, that things around you are happening and you don't have control over that, what's the only thing you have control of is your own body, like what you're putting in your mouth or what you don't put in your mouth. You know, mm -hmm. I, when I started to be really more in, into my behaviors, of, you know, I started with anorexia and it slowly shifted towards, um, binge eating disorders after I started eating again. But for me, when I was not eating or I was having an argument with my mother, she wanted me to, to eat. 25 years ago, eating disorders were not as much uh, known as today. But for me, like just to say, no, I'm not eating, it was such a defiant 
Mm. You know, I was so different to my mother and I felt like that was giving me power, a false sense of power. But for me, that was one of the cause that was like reinforcing the eating disorders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned growing up, there was pressure on you um, as being the oldest child and um, and therefore wanting to, to, to almost be the best and stuff. Um, how, how, I mean, the, the further into your eating disorders, how um, did it impact on your confidence, on your relationships with your family, on your relationships with your friends? Um, because it can become quite a manipulative um, disease because it is a disease isn't it yeah. where um, you hide things or you pretend you've eaten or you know so on and so forth was it then impacting like the world around you as well as yourself definitely um, like I said that happened more you know after my ski accident like the behaviors were really there but that, that's what I was doing. You know, I was pretending I was tired because of the accident. So I needed to sleep, but you know, I just loved the feeling of starvation or again, I wanted to control. And, uh, you know, with my brother and sister, it was not really, uh, they were not fully impacted. They were impacted because of the accident and the attention, like being focused on me a little bit, a little bit more. But I used to, you know, make meals to my sisters. You know, I didn't want to eat ice cream and stuff. And I want to be sure this is not like a how to be anorexic, you know, but you know what I was doing is that I was like creating desserts for her and I would like wash her eat. You know, uh, I was not eating in front of my parents. And that's something that I'm just even like, you know, at 46, I'm starting to be comfortable eating with people. Before I was so stressed, I was not comfortable. And now this is something that is, you know, coming back. But when I was eating, I was hiding to eat because I didn't want people or my family, my, my father and my mother to know that I was eating because I thought that if they would know, it would make me feel weak. Right. Yeah. So, and I remember that incident is still bring so much tears to my heart, like to, to my eyes, because I had my father, obviously he was not aware of, you know, he was busy with three kids. My mother was a little bit aware, aware of that, but you know, one day I was eating a piece of cake, like in the kitchen, because you know, you can, your body is telling you when you eat, even if you're starving yourself, your body at a certain point will need to eat. And that's why like this, the cycle, the vicious circle of binging and uh, not eating and starving is so uh, present because after like starving for so long, you just won't, uh, when your body, when your eyes see food, your body will want to eat it. So that's when the binging is occurring because you've been starving for so long. So I remember eating in the kitchen and my dad came in and I felt so ashamed. And he told me, oh, Julie, this is so good to see you eat. But I felt trapped. I felt like I was weak, that I lost all my power. And I just remember throwing the fork and the sink and saying something nasty as a teenager, mm -hmm. something, well, I hope you're happy now or something. And I, re I still remember the eyes 
of sadness of my father when you know mm-hmm. it still brings tears to my eyes because you know all he wanted for me is to eat and to grow up as a normal child you know mm. so yeah so that's another experience that you mentioned the words power and control a couple of times and i mm-hmm. think the control part is is one of the big leaders for the um and triggers for it isn't it did you feel after your accident uh, that you were weak and out of control because you were having to rely on others to learn how to walk and how to bathe yourself and therefore in amongst all of that chaos the one thing like you said that you could control was your your eating and your body yeah was that the starting point yes the builder yes and I was 12 years old and I was in my first year of high school you know I had a shake head lost so much friends that happened like drama because you know I had um you know I had a shaved head I had uh you know my eyes the whites of my eyes were red because of the impact of the I hit a tree with my head so wow from the impact so I, and I had to stop school. I couldn't go back to school because my abilities, my intellectual capacities have, you know, lowered. I had to relearn how to speak, how to write. So for a 12 years old, it's a huge impact, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't want to see your friends because the way you look, you know, because you have a shaved head and a huge scar. And then you cannot go back to, to school. You don't remember how to write. Like it's huge for a 12 years old kid. Yeah. So that's like, I felt totally lost. Like I felt I lost the control. And I think that's why the eating disorder is just like, well, this is it. We got her for good, right? Even if it started a little bit earlier, mm. the eating disorder just grabbed onto that because like you were saying, like that's that's when, you know, it just... It, it, it's a disease and it knows where to you know the brain is 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 magical in a way but you know the the brain the eating disorders like the illness knows you know what to take and I think that not talking about it keeping hidden uh being shameful uh like we said it's really taboo you know yeah. to talk about this and so just to keep that for yourself reinforce it Mm, yeah you know, I always thought I could do it from by myself oh I'm gonna heal by myself I can do this and trying you know Reiki and meditation and always thinking that only this could help like don't get me wrong those modalities really help me but I think like you really need to seek help of professional when you need to start eating properly again and stop the signs and symptoms right yeah yeah I mean for sure I mean you know that what you went through is massive regardless of what age you are it's a massive transformation with a with a lot of um changes and um new firsts again and relearning um Mm -hmm. and so it can always be hard and I think often these these seem to be like the, the trigger points and when things feel out of control you know um mine came from my trauma, my abuse, and I felt out of control and therefore I wanted to control stuff. And I think there's, it's often when we identify where it's coming from, then we can almost then start to work on healing that part and rather than controlling it, working with it to, to get better. 
Mm-hmm. You're now in active recovery um, after 33 years. I'd love to just hear a bit more about how that process started for you, when it started and what that recovery looked like. You've mentioned, you know, getting professional help in, you know, obviously that's absolutely key. But what other things were you doing that would help you to find the strength to, to mm-hmm. keep going? Well, three years ago, approximately, I was very depressed. I, you know, because of the eating disorders, it like, like I said, like it all goes hand in hand, you know, all the signs and symptoms are all together, but I was, I was really depressed. I wasn't doing any anxiety, except if I was in this like big, um, big setting with all people, like, and I had to go to a restaurant and stuff like that. But I was to a point where I was really depressed. And like you said, um, I just wanted to be another statistic, you know, of eating disorders. And I have a a sister, I have a brother and a sister, the twins I was talking about earlier. I love my brother, but I'm really close with my sister. And I love her like it's not even possible. She's she's a beautiful human being. Mm -hmm. And... I know she loves me and I always knew she really loved me and I have a niece that I love as well and I know this is very uh, morbid or uh, but I was thinking about I had like suicidal um idealization and and I was kind of starting not planning but you know it was really um it was taking a lot of my mind space but I was telling myself how I would feel if my sister would commit suicide mm. would destroy me it would destroy me mm. and I know the love she has for me is as strong as mine for her mm. and it saved me because I told myself I cannot do that to her mm. so she, <laughs> she she basically saved my life in a way I, I did the work but I will forever be so grateful for her because it's because of her love. Even if I know I have people around me that since I have, you know, told uh, my big secret to the world and my friends, I realized how much love I had around me that I never even dreamt having because I was so busy in my head trying to, you know, build stories about how I wasn't a good person, how was so fat, how was not, you know, uh, beautiful enough, which I never wanted to be beautiful because, you know, I was being told that when I was younger so much, I feel I want to be appreciated. I want to be included. I want to be loved for who I am. Right. Mm. But yeah. So I realized all the love that I had around me and it's incredible when you start opening you know, to people, but yeah, so I feel that that's my sister was uh, the point that when I said, well, I cannot do that to her, but now I have the choice. What do I do? Because I'm miserable. Like, I don't want to live that life. I want to stop counting. Like, you know, it was taking all my mind space. What should I eat? What should I not eat? What people will say if I eat that? What people will say if I don't drink this? It was just constantly in my mind. I was going absolutely crazy and I hated myself. 
Mm. So I said, I have to do something. And medication was not enough. So one day I went to a walk-in nurse practitioner and I said, I need help because I'm going to kill myself basically, you know? So, and that's from that moment, she took me seriously. And it was the first time that I was talking to a professional as well. So she took me seriously. And then, so, uh, and then slowly, um, you know, she referred me to a, a psycho, not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. So he evaluated me, my condition, and then he referred, he suggested, recommended that I went into treatment and that's how it started. So I went into treatment in October, 2019. So I was at the hospital for, you know, seven weeks, uh, starting to eat again. Uh, and that's another thing that I've learned, like our bodies, our body is there to serve us and we keep trying to control it and to destroy it and to um, refrain from getting all the nutrients and all the food it needs to serve us better, right? Mm. So that's from now, like it was a huge learning, learning, not learning curve, but, you know, life changing because now I want to take care of myself. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful. And, and I can feel your rawness and your love with with your sister. Um, we had we had a similar not experience in the fact that uh, from suicidal thoughts, but I know that there were a few things that I said to my sister that triggered her to get the help. And mm -hmm. me and her are best friends. She, she is my everything. Well, outside of my husband and my son, but she is you know we do everything together um yes. and you know it's interesting that you said that when you started to let out your secret in inverted commas that you started to realize there was so much love and support around you and mm -hmm. i think you know whether it's an eating disorder or or people are just going through challenging times you use the word so so rightly when you're so in your head you can't see what's going on around you um, and that there is so much love and support there for people if they can just take a moment and a breath to, to see it. Um, and quite often it takes, um, you know, the real challenges for, for choices to be made that they've been putting off to then start to seek the help and, and to then start to see the world through different eyes. I mean, how did you feel when you entered treatment and how did you navigate through any resistance that might come up or that oh, might because up resistant <laughs> because res resistance come up like it was a constant battle internal battle i almost left probably like 10 times <laughs> in 7 weeks uh, the first few days were horrible because they put you on um on an iv so to regulate your electrolytes so magnesium so i had an iv of magnesium and you know you're taking a potassium and sodium and multivitamin but i never had like all of that my body was in a full reaction first time i put the iv in my head i thought i was going to die and i was thinking to myself how ironic that would be like the first day i'm getting help i'm dying but it's just my body was reacting mm. but it's hard like it is not easy, like you were saying in the introduction, it's not linear, uh, it's not easy, it's up and downs, but I think 
you and the professionals that were there, like, you know, what I was telling myself is that, well, they've been in, you know, in that area for a long time, you know, maybe I can get like a few tricks from them <laughs> that I didn't try because obviously what I tried before didn't work, you know, mm. and after 33 years, I was good at my eating disorders. So I was, but I was ready to try something else. So their verbiage, the way they talk really helped me as well. But not only that, but to um, show me and let me know all the victories, you know, the, the small victories that, um, that we have. And I think it's important not only in recovery for eating disorders, for in any, and every day of our lives, like we're so hard on ourselves. Like, so every day, you know, so we're starting to eat again and we have like, we were seven people, seven person, like around the table. We don't have any, uh, we didn't have the same diet. We didn't have, it's not, not a diet, sorry that not the meal plan you know we didn't have the same meal plan and it's hard like the eating disorder wants to compare you know even if it's just for ourselves because it's it's always our own ego so oh what she has like oh I don't have that oh thank god I don't have that so you know all like you have to keep for yourself and you know do your own work so the little victories are a, a, a big one because in the eating disorder and probably in other addiction, I don't, don't quote me on that, but it's a lot of black and white, you know, it's this or that I eat or I don't eat, I drink or I don't, you know, like, and when I go, I go full swing. Right. So it's just to learn that it's okay to be in the gray zone, you know, and to be neutral. So that was a good one as well. So that really helped me, you know, to build like victories and what I realized as well that you know my caregivers were saying oh good job Julie and at first I was telling myself were well, they paid to tell me this like mm. but you know but slowly I was like I was uh, it grew into me and I kind of liked it <laughs> so I recognized the little girl inside me that kind of needed approval a little bit and you know, to be told like, hey, Julie, you're doing a good job. It feels good, right? So you're telling yourself, well, I'm the right, on the right track. I've got the right people around me to support me. And then, okay, well, that gives me a little bit more strength. That gives me a little bit more courage. And then I can do a little bit, you know, but it's slowly, it's really slowly, it's progress. And it's progress over perfection. You know, we're not perfect. We'll never be perfect. But every chance that you have to, you, where you can learn a little bit and get a little bit better and feel better, well, it's all, and you have to, that's something that is very important as, as well. You have to stop the signs and symptoms. You have to go back into healthy eating before you start to uh, work you know, the psychological. So, and that's what's hard as well. I thought that in seven weeks, I'd be done, I'd be healed and I would go back to my life and maybe lose a few pounds on the way. So that was my mentality when I entered treatment. I said, well, maybe I'll be able like to lose a few pounds. I'll get healed and then I'll be happy. 
But, you know, there was still that condition. Well, if I lose a few pounds, well, if I, you know, I'll be happy. But yeah, so it's all these, yeah, you have to treat signs and symptoms first before you start to work the psychology of why you have an eating disorder, you know? Why are you trying to hide, you know, when are you having a crisis, mm. you know? So it's to identify all that. And what did, you know, because obviously the physical side is very much done with the professionals and and that there is a lot of battle and a lot of resistance, which obviously that's what they're trained to to deal with. Yeah. What I've always worried about, and, and I'd love to get insights into you, is that quite often the physical is dealt with, but the mental isn't always. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd love to know what you have done from an internal healing point of view. Okay. On an emotional level that other people who might be listening to this could benefit from because, you know, when you're still in your head, it does give you an internal battle that you can't always win. But when you start to work together, mind and body and heal together, then your chances of recovery are so much stronger. So what, what internal uh, emotional techniques were you using that really helped you? Well, <clears throat> giving yourself permission to slow down. That's mm-hmm. a, a big one as well, because, you know, often we are hiding behind busyness. So that's so giving your, your per- the permission to slow down, that it's okay to rest. And the nervous system needs it anyways. So we need to rest. We're so over solicited everywhere from, like you said, social media, TV, you know, life around us. So that is a big, important thing. And at the beginning, when I started to slow down, I thought I was wasting my time. So, you know, so I understand people who think, well, slowing down, you know, doesn't benefit me, but your nervous system will benefit from it. Uh, identifying your values, you know, what's important to you and um, your circle of friends, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, the love you're, or the support you're getting from other people, uh, just like um, maybe also deleting, um, you know, accounts on social media that do not benefit you, who basically feel, make you feel, uh, what can I say in good French like shit (laughs) you know are not benefiting you you know that you watching this and you and pictures you just makes yourself feeling low so you know trying to find let's say accounts that can motivate you read books that will serve you uh yoga and meditation breath work really helped me because it's good for the nervous system as well to slow down relax and When you start to use those modalities, what I find is that I want to take care of myself better. And you don't have to do an hour of yoga to feel good. You know, you can meditate for five minutes. You can do a little bit of stretching. You don't go to, you don't need to go into a half an hour, an hour power vinyasa to to do a workout for you to be beneficial. You can do a yin class or um, restorative yoga and doing uh, perception checked with people as well for an example 
we're together, we're having breakfast. I, that's an example I had with a friend. I ordered a muffin somewhere, you know, because I have to eat. I have a, a meal plan that is designed for me. So I'm having a muffin and I'm offering to my friend and said, oh no, thank you. And now my head goes, oh, maybe I shouldn't be eating that muffin. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, maybe she thinks like, I shouldn't be eating it. She doesn't want it. So why would I want it? So like your head is spinning like that. So I ha- I asked her, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to do a perception check with you. I offered you my muffin. You said, no, you don't want it. I'm thinking that you don't want it because so I shouldn't be eating it. Mm-hmm. Can we confirm that you're just, you just don't want that muffin because you're not hungry. I give me the reason. You know, so perception check is a real good one and talking and sharing, you know, not isolating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of them. I think, you know, it's so important to create boundaries um, to protect yourselves from from certain things, you know, like you said, deleting people who don't make you feel good uh, on social media, but also in your social network, your physical social network, you know, um, to choosing what news to listen to or to not, and you know, various things like that. Um, I love, you know, the power of talking because I think, again, with something um, like eating disorders where we still aren't as knowledgeable as we should be, to have those perspective checks with your friends and family is good for them as well because it then makes them more aware of their behaviors around you and then people can then start to be more mindful of what they're doing um but it opens up that conversation just allows you to draw people in and i think you know um there's nothing more powerful than having a support network around you at all Mm -hmm. i'm curious to know have you done any forgiveness work you know i think that writing i wrote a lot and i think writing really helped me as well um it was not the work that i did you know i know like there there are kind of like seven uh, 12 steps and i think in the 12 steps like the um forgiving work is there mm-hmm. i didn't i think i didn't do it consciously consciously yeah. but I think I've done it through my, through my writing. I think that's how I did it. And you know, when you're not so over in your head, I think you can have a perspective of what really happened or how you distorted, you know, uh, past or how you distorted uh, people's reaction and how you interpreted that. Uh, but, uh, but I forgave myself though, you know, for, uh, that I did. Oh, it's true. So you, I, I did that to, to myself, to my body. Actually, I apologized for treating it like so badly for so long. And yeah, so I did that for myself, for my body. Cause I but think not- that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, the self-forgiveness part for for your body it is sometimes an absolute game changer I think you know when it comes to to healing of any anything um, because we hold a lot of emotions and we carry those emotions around um, and that's just that excess baggage that is just like 
so out of date but still so present because we're choosing to allow it to be present I think when we forgive we let go of the out of date stuff and allow ourselves to to reform and rebuild a different relationship on an emotional level with ourselves Um, and I think you know with something like eating disorders forgiveness can play like a huge part in that because I guess essentially you've been in battle with your body for for a long time mm-hmm. um and it's bringing the mind and body back together yes yes totally and i think that to forget that and now taking care you know self-care is um it's so important but like i was saying taking care of your body not only f- like eating food that is nourishing for you but not feeling guilty about being a certain way and what also you know, what the uh, caregivers told me, uh, uh, you always think that you're going to be so much happy when you lose that five pounds. But what about now? Mm -hmm. You know, being in the moment present in the present moment is so important as well. It it gives you um, a perspective that everything is okay. And to go back, like ground yourself and uh, be in peace. It's like, it's, it's hard to find like peace, but you know, when you're in the present moment, when you uh, just take time to be present with people you love, or, you know, taking care of your body in a beautiful way, taking a hot shower, if that's what you like, or, you know, putting cream on your body and thanking your body for everything that it does for you on a daily basis, you know, I am not to the point that I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and say, oh, you're beautiful. I, 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 I can't. I still have a hard time saying I love you, but I can say I appreciate. And again, it's not black and white. You know, when this gray zone here, I appreciate what my body does for me. I'm so lucky. I have legs. I can go to work. I can do my yoga. I can go for a walk. I can see the sunset. Mm-hmm. Right? I love what you just said there, because sometimes we think that we have to say certain things. um, And the reality is, is about adapting it to feel right for you. Um, And saying I love you in the mirror doesn't feel right to you right now. That's not to say that in the future, it, you know, there's a high chance that it will feel right. But the reality is it's going with what feels right in that moment. And and then using the words to match that. Like I will often say to my clients, I choose because, you know, people see all these mantras and everything that go on. Oh, yeah, I'm a money magnet. I'm successful. I'm, and then like, I don't believe that. And I'm like, but if you choose to be, then it gives you that gray area that just sits a bit nicer with you. And you're more likely to then continue to use, but also to receive. Yes. And so, you know, having an appreciation for your body is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, um and, you know, all of this, it, everyone is just a, um, an ongoing process. We're all evolving all of the time. And it, again, it's like navigating through the present right now and knowing what, what you need um, in this moment. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into your writing and into the book that, that you've published this month. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be published this month. Because, again, I think writing is a real... Um, well, one of the most powerful tools that we have um, because it gets stuff out of our head and on paper. Um, uh, and it's very cathartic. Did you find it cathartic and therapeutic 
immensely. immensely. Yes. And how I start actually the writing, I started journaling before I went to treatment. Mm. And when COVID hit in is it 2020, March 2020, I was in a residential treatment. So I was in a house with uh, seven other people mm. and I was half through my treatment and half were sent all home. And it was apparently for two weeks, but it was six months after mm. all. But during that time, I enrolled in a writing project. It was just self-discovery. Uh, this uh, woman who was a publisher and editor was doing that on Facebook just to, you know, help people. And uh, we were 10 and it became the project of the book that I was um, awakening through COVID. So yeah. that was part of the project, but it was not supposed to be a book at the beginning, but I felt it was so helpful. So I decided to actually keep on writing and I started to write the memoir. And as I was also writing the memoir, I felt there was things that I haven't dealt with that I was able to deal with at the moment as I was writing and things that were popping up in my head and discovery. Mm. And yeah, it was really, it was a game changer as well in my recovery, like just to journal and to get things out of your head is immensely beneficial. I think so. And again, you know, like you touched on the fact that a lot of the things that you did were, were private and journaling can be very private. No one needs to read what, what we write, but sometimes we need to get it out of our system. Um, and there are so many right, there's no right or wrong way to journal. And there's so many ways in which we can do it. And again, it's just learning how to explore um, and find one that writes that that works for you. I did a lot of writing when I was going through my my first lot of counselling and, and therapy, but I often wrote in third party mm. rather than uh, to kind of disassociate myself. It wasn't a conscious thing that I did, but it, I just did it, and now I know that I was disassociating myself with it. Um, but I reread that, and I haven't done it for ages. But when I read it the last time, it was so powerful and raw. But I know that that plays like a big part in my um, recovery and mm -hmm. helping me to get back on track massively um, because there is there's a sense of freedom in writing, but in a safe container. Yes. And you know, that people won't usually read it, you know, yeah. so if you have something to say as well, you're yeah. not hurting anyone in exactly. writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more about the book that, that is about your recovery. When's that going to be available for people? It's uh, going to be out on, uh, it's going to be like the launch is November 17. Yes. So it's pretty. Can I show the cover? Yes. Yes. So this is the book proof. So the title is Hungry to Be Me mm -hmm. and Quest to Be My Own Hero. So it's about my quest to be my own hero. And, and I talk a lot about the dichotomy of choices. You know, what do I do? My head is telling me to do that, but I deeply know I need to do something else. You know, sometimes the behavior, you want to act that way, but you need, you know, that it won't serve you. Yeah. And again, coming back to your values, how you want to feel, what do you want? What do you really want? We all want to be loved. We all want to be free, right? Mm. So 
Is it staying in that mindset and in the, that, that illness? And again, it's not easy. Mm. It, it is not easy, but I really want this. So yeah. I'm willing to work and, you know, walk that path. And it's a choice of every day, like every morning you wake up and say, okay, you, you know, you want to skip breakfast. Oh, there's, you know, intermittent fasting diet, this juicing diet. No, you know, shut up, shut, shut up that. I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm. Where, what do you want to, how do you want to feel? What do you want to do this? Yeah. So every day it's an everyday choice, you know, to yeah. wake up, decide how your day is going to be. And that's come back to the present. It doesn't matter tomorrow, but today, you know, today, how's it going to be? Yeah. And choices are so powerful. And I think, you know, we forget and sometimes we can hand those choices over to other people by giving our power away. But the reality is, like you say, every day we're faced with a million choices. We mm -hmm. can't change how um, people treat us or what's gone on in the past, but every day we have a choice of how we respond to it. And it's choosing the response that's in alignment with your why, which takes me back obviously to when, when you were at that decision of, do I end it and become a statistic or do I, you know, help get help? And your why was your sister. Yes. And so your sister's love became stronger than your illness. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much power in getting really clear on what it is that you want to, to mm -hmm. feel or to have in your life and why you want to have it, because those two things have the power to motivate you through any challenge and obstacle, and they will keep you going when things feel really tough. And I think, you know, that that is such an important reminder to get really, really clear on your what your intentions are and why you want it. And while I'm saying that, I also want to go back to something that I meant to bring up that you mentioned earlier, um, but we I got sidetracked, was the whole victories and celebrations. And again, I think too often we are so wired to focus on the things that we've not done. Uh, our natural response is, I can't believe I didn't, you know, I did that or didn't do that you know, when we look at the end of the day, we look at the things we've not done off our to-do list rather than the things that we have, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, there is so much power in celebration and in victories. When we celebrate ourselves, we give our body and our minds the opportunity to acknowledge that we, we are able and that we can do it. It gives mm -hmm. our, our confidence a real boost to prove that we can do it. And it also gives the finger to our doubts when we're saying we can't do it and we've got a victory to say well that's bullshit and we can do it because I've just mm -hmm. done it and I really do believe that we need to really embrace the celebration so much more and again that is a choice yes um, and it's choosing to celebrate the victories rather than choosing to focus on the things that have gone wrong or that have been hard there's lessons in everything but there's so many lessons in victory as well that we can take and that our body and our minds really absorb mm -hmm. and use to propel us forward uh, with mm -hmm. such momentum that's just so powerful. Yeah, and I think it's important, even if it's, it feels forceful a little bit, like to choose the victories or at least write it every night. Okay, so yeah. what are the victories? Just like yeah. some people do a gratitude list, you know, find three victories. Yeah. So it's very powerful. And even, you know, when I started to 
when I was at the treatment house in the residential treatment and I was following my meal plan, I was feeling powerful about it. So it's always when you go back into that secret, it, 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 in, into that doubt, if you like self, um, self doubt. And uh, when you're not in the place of worthiness, you know, when you feel unworthy and when you're all into, into that little dark bubble, mm. of course, it's not easy to, you know, celebrate the victories. But when you get out of that a little bit and then you start, you know, being grateful for what you have or being grateful for my body, for what it does and writing my victories and eating healthy food that support and gives me energy. And just before I know we're going, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to go too much off track, but all the um, precursors for neuro, like neurotransmitter, like to have the hormones like serotonin, mm. you know, to go and flow into our brain, it all starts in the guts. Yeah. So if you do not eat properly, or if you do not eat, if you starve yourself, you're not getting the food to produce the serotonin, like, and the good hormones that your happy hormones that your body needs. But that's something I didn't know. So why, when you are into crisis, you know, why you're so depressed? Well, it's because you're not getting the nutrients to fuel your brain. Mm. And that was like, <laughs> it's something I didn't know, but it's so important. You know, it's the, ba it's the base. It's the, that's, that's our bodies. We need to treat it well. Mm. So yeah. And victories. So that's, amazing. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. Um, Julie, I love, I love your story. I love um, the insights and the rawness. And I know that it's not always easy because it brings up emotions. Um, but I know that you're so passionate about sharing your story in the way that it will inspire other people. I'd love for you to just share something that you now know that you wish you knew way back when that might be the definitive thing that can help someone right now. Uh, you can, oh, I'm tearful. You're never alone. Mm. You are never alone. And you, I, I, well, I was never alone. I thought I was, uh, you, yeah, we all have courage and like, we all have the courage and the strength in within us to conquer that the self-doubt, you know, just like the self-doubt eating disorders, or I think it all comes, I know, like it all comes from the core. We all have the same needs, right? We want to belong. We have to, I don't want to fit in. I want to belong. You know, I want to be part of it. We all want to be loved and welcome, you know, and, but yes, we all have the strength and the courage you know, to be our own hero. We all do. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's just buried at the moment but it's it was buried yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. is very very deep mm. but it can come to the surface yeah yeah with the techniques that you've mentioned to you know today and with the, the professional support on top of that we you have the ability everything that we ever need is within us mm -hmm. it's just often buried below fear doubt overwhelm um, you know, manifestations of eating disorders, of um, self-destruction or whatever it may be. But when we start to unravel that, it then starts to come through. And all we need is just that tiny glimmer yeah. to, just to work with, to then build on and then to kind of move forward. 
it's been amazing chatting to you thank you so much good luck with your book i would oh, definitely i'll so definitely be getting a copy i would love to read that um where can people find you if they want to follow you follow your journey or you know ask you questions well i am very present on instagram so juliegautier.co is a good uh is a good place my website is the same juliegautier.co but it's not very update so but i have an email address there's a newsletter there that people can subscribe to uh-huh but yeah instagram is the most uh that's the medium that I'm using the most. Fab. Well, um, I'll add all of that to the show notes. So if anyone has been listening to this, who's been in a similar position or, or who are in a position um, that uh, Julie has been in and you would like some additional support and help, then I know that Julie would be there to help you. Um, equally, I, I will be there as well. So please reach out to one of us um, because like she said at the end, we're not alone. No one is alone. Um, it's just being able to ask for that help. And when you ask for that help, magical things happen. So please reach out. Um, and thank you once again for everyone who um, has listened. And thank you, Julie, for being an awesome guest. It's been wonderful having you. Well, it was wonderful to be with you. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I will look forward to seeing you all uh, next week. So bye for now. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now.